Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And here we are again. Yet again. Boy, January's flying by. 2024. Feels like it just started and we're already like a twelfth of the way through it almost. <laughs> <laughs> How does that happen? How does that happen? I don't know. I know. It's frightening. So um so we have a very special guest today, and I will introduce her shortly. But um, we have a very fun topic. This is this is a a topic that Kaylin suggested, um, Kaylin Riley, and I'm very excited to talk about this. Uh, but first, that was Bill Sutton that you heard at the top of the podcast. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here's Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. And I'm Annette Hankel, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Kaylin Riley, reporter extraordinaire. Hey, Kaylin. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. And we also have very special guest, Brenda Simmons. And Brenda is the Executive Director of the Southampton African American Museum, um, which I happen to do a story about for this most recent issue of the paper, which was a really fun one. But we're not talking about the story I wrote for uh, for the, the museum, but rather a project that um, Brenda has been working with Dr. Georgette Greer Key from the Eastville Community Historical Society. And this is a really interesting story that Kaylin put together this week about a new tour that people can take on the East End of our African-American history. So Kaylin, do you want to jump in and talk about what you learned about this? And then we'll bring Brenda in to talk about the project and the sites that are on it and how people can get the tour. Sure. Happy to do that. So I always love an opportunity to chat with Brenda and Georgette even though Brenda always makes me a little bit jealous because she's always in the Caribbean every time I talk to her. <laughs> but, um, but this is just uh, a really great project. Um, and I'm excited for Brenda to tell you about her part in it specifically. But um, through this app, Travel Stories, um, which does all these really cool and interesting oral histories for the Hampton Civil Rights Backstory cell phone tour and it's just so great because it really brings all this really vital history to your fingertips Uh, you can listen to it on your phone I think I heard someone describe it sort of as like mini podcast episodes and they're really compelling Um, Dr. Key who was unfortunately not able to be here today narrates a lot of the episodes but Brenda is featured um We'll hear former East Hampton Town Supervisor Peter Van Skoyak talking about the Freetown um, neighborhood in East Hampton, and then really great history on the um, Sands neighborhood in Sag Harbor, which stands for Sag Harbor Azures Nineveh Nineveh subdivisions, Um, one of the most well-known Black beach enclaves in the country. And also about Pierce Conser, who's in really crucially important historical figure in Southampton. And so it's just really great. Um, Anyone can listen to these anywhere, anytime. They're also an incredible tool to use in an educational setting in schools. But, um, you know, I'll let Brenda talk about it a little more, but it was really cool writing about this and getting to listen to the stories. So I'm really excited for people to 
kind of hear more about it and definitely encourage everyone to listen to them with their kids, with other family members, everyone, coworkers, any chance they get because they're really, really cool stories and it's all local history, which is great. So Brenda, I was wondering, how did how did you and um, Georgette come up with the idea to do this tour? Was this something that Georgette brought to you or had you been contemplating how to do this for a while and, and looking for a way to tell these stories um, in that kind of format? It was actually Nancy Solomon, the Long Island Traditions. She's actually the one who reached out to myself. I think she reached out to Georgette and Georgette brought me in. And that's how that happened. It actually was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. She came to the museum and that's when we sat down and did my interview. Um, so, and I think, you know, she got a grant, you know, with this as well. So that's how it all started, you know, with Nancy Solomon. Do you want to talk about the Southampton African-American Museum? Because that's your baby right there. And a bit of the history of that spot and why you felt that it would be one of the important um, locations to highlight on the new tour. Well, you know, the history of that building is so significant to our community. I mean, it was Emmanuel Seymour who came to the Great Migration in the late 40s and 50s. And he built that. First of all, when I give these tours, I get so excited when I hear myself say, he came to the Great Migration in the late 40s and 50s and purchased property in the Hamptons. I mean, really. So that's the first, you know, that's the kind of thing that I just kind of like, I pause when I say it, you know, I want people to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I even I hear it myself when I do the tour. And then um, the other part that he actually built this building. And when he built the building, he's asked, he was a barber and a carpenter. And so he built the building and he built the building half a barbershop and half a beauty parlor. <laughs> Perfect. And the amazing thing. Yeah. And the awesome thing about that is my auntie, Evelyn Baxter, who our family came from Virginia. Emmanuel Seymour's family came from North Carolina and my family um, came from Virginia. So generally with the great migration, the oldest sibling comes first, probably already you guys know this, the oldest sibling usually comes first and find a place, establish a job, et cetera. And then the other siblings follow. So my aunt Florence, my oldest auntie, she came first and she established in Harlem, believe it or not. So I spent a lot of time in Harlem when I was younger. And then my aunt Evelyn Baxter came, you know, finally after, um, not too long after. And how I figured that she got to Southampton to the barbershop is she married Missy Emanuel's cousin. Mm. How that all details, me no no. But um, that's how she got to be the first um, beautician there in in the barbershop slash beauty parlor. And when I was like, um, I was very young maybe in my teen, early teens, that was like kind of my first job. And I would come there and answer the phones for her and write appointments down for her. And it was, you know, so that's why I guess the building is a little intimate for me, a little more than a little, obviously. Um, but, it, and you know, I want to stop and say too that during that time, and even now, the barbershops are very, very significant. And mm-hmm. it was a gathering place during that time. You know, and that's where a lot of people um, hung out. And it was also a juke joint right next to the barbershop. So between the juke joint and the barbershop, that was the hangout spot for, you know, the Blacks during that time. Hmm. So you probably heard a lot of great stories when you were younger hanging out there, I imagine. You knew what was going on in the neighborhood because of that. I'm thinking. But you know, the funny thing about it, you know, 
I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but old school, my auntie was very strict from all any of us going on to the barbershop to the men's side. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. We had, you know, she taught us how to be ladies, you know, the whole, you know, etiquette thing. But because I was working and answering the phone, sometime she would ask me to go and give Missy Emanuel, you know, something. And so I would open the door and I'm like, wow, I'm in here, you know? So that was basically the only reason, only time I got to really see anything. Yeah. But I don't know if I can confess this one podcast, <laughs> but one time I was curious because being there all the time and hearing everything going on in the juke joint, I was right. curious. Right. So one evening I snuck out and I went to the, I went there. Um, yeah. but it was really disturbing because it was a woman that I think she drank too much and it was bringing her out. And I mean, I think they probably end up having to, you know, call the ambulance or whatever, but it frightened me. Plus, plus the fact I was afraid I was going to get, you know, find, get found out that I was hanging out. So yeah. I ended up running back home. I literally lived on Halsey Avenue. Um, so I literally walked, I, I feel like I ran all the way back home because I didn't want to get caught either way, you know? But it's interesting because, you know, people drive by that space and they had no idea that kind of history that was going on in that building back then. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so much that even when, um, I, you know, everybody knows that I was assistant to the mayor. And I don't know, you guys don't know this part, but a letter came across his desk to tear the building down. Oh. And I'm not even going to say who sent the letter. I'll leave that alone. Um but of course, as assistant to the mayor, I opened up all Mark's mail. Yeah. So I saw this letter. I took a breath, a breather. I put it on the side and I did everything else. And I come in to his office and I said, Mark, I said, um, this is not going to happen. I'll be the crazy woman in front of the bulldozer. And fast <laughs> forward, you know, I was also um, a recording secretary. And there was a legislation that talked about how to historically designated building, but there was a, you know, they talked about the aesthetics, all this other stuff that wasn't, you know, related to me, relevant to me, but it was a small portion on the legislature that I read that said, if it's, if it's significant to the community, and that's what I pulled out. I actually found an old juke joint singer. I got a couple of the band leaders. They were all old, but I was able to interview them. And I took that information back to the ARB. And that's how the building got its first African-American site to be historically designated in the village of Southampton. Wow. That's amazing. That's great. I'm sorry. I just see that, uh, that Georgette did join us. Are you, are you there? Hey guys, I'm, I'm hopping, but I'm not stopping. So I am here to oh say hello. God. How are you feeling? I'm doing good. I don't know. I think this is a bunch of hoopla. <laughs> really? <laughs> but I'm following I'm following the instructions to go get checked out. I thought it was like a little flu, but they just, you know, want to be safe and sorry. Sir, are you in the hospital right now? Yes, I am. Oh. <laughs> Listen to that. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah, like I, well, not yet. I just got here. So I said to myself, I could jump on the call. I'm here in the waiting room. 
Okay. Well, maybe since we don't know how long we're going to have you here um, before you have to jump off, um, Dr. Dr. Key, do you want to talk about this about this project and how it came about and how you found out about um, the organization that put together, um, you know, Travel Stories app that um, that put together the the tour? Well, let me tell you, I've worked with Nancy on and off on many projects. So this is the Long Island Traditions, the Folklore Society. Um, and so that's how I um, became familiar with the project because I worked with uh, Nancy on other projects. Um, and for me, just adding the, the extra layer of the travel stories was amazing because it puts this history into not just our local hands, but also to nationally or anyone that's driving in the area, they could pull up this app and be able to look at it. However, um, we have so much history that has been, you know, hidden um, and not in the forefront. We could have gone on and on with multiple sites, um, but time is, was of the essence, so we did what we can. Um, but I think there's multiple sites. When you think about just leaving after uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Black church was so significant to the civil rights movement. Um, so we're looking at that in the future to look at how the churches in the area um, really played a role and also um, all types of denominations. That was really important that we had, um, you know, imams, we had rabbis, uh, we had priests, we had reverends, many people that came together to work with the civil rights movement. So I think the other part of it is that this is really about people. Yes, the places are important, but we have to think about it that um, everyday regular people did extraordinary things and they did it together. So one of the other sites is Pierce Concerts House, right? So that's a really important one that you're also in the midst of of trying to um, to bring more attention to, so people know what happened um, at um, at that location by Agawam Park. Uh, do you do you want to talk about that a little bit, Brenda? <laughs> or do you want? Are you sure we have Georgette talk about about this? You know, it's it's been such a challenge. You know. Um, it's been such a challenge that I'm going to try to stay positive here today. And um, hopefully, um, moving forward, we'll be able to do something this year um, with this project. You know, it's just been so many setbacks, but I just feel um, there's certain aspects in the village that could be done better and look at this in a different way. I'll say it that way, Georgia, if you want to save me from really saying what I want to say right now. <laughs> well, well, we could talk about Pierce himself and his life and why um, why his his um, presence in the village was important. Right. Well, he was an extraordinary man. I mean, there he was a former slave born, you know, in Southampton, March 17, 1814. And I mean, became a famous whaler, went into Japan. I mean, this is an iconic hero that should be celebrated in the village of South. See, Annette, you're making me go there. Um, in, <laughs> celebrated in Southampton. And, you know, even coming back and starting his own business, become an entrepreneur, a philanthropist. I mean, what, I mean, that is more than, and then we found his deed. We found his, all of his information, which is completely rare. You don't find that for a former slave in the 1800s. Yeah. But the other blessing is that I look at and I try to focus on this extraordinary man was so loved back then in the 1800s. So we're hoping that someone will get the fever and catch on and um, 
really understand that we need to celebrate. That's why things like this, this cell phone tour and, and talking about history and, and, and Black history is so important so that you can overcome some of those roadblocks that you guys have faced, um, you know, in, in the village and, and getting the, you know, getting the, the museum done. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients in the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. I love how one point, Brenda, that you've brought up to me before, too, about Pierce Concert is that there's this giant statue in Japan honoring his legacy, right? And so if you think about the fact that in Japan, they have a statue of him because they believed he was the first black man to ever visit Japan. And also they rescued the crew of the Japanese. He, he was on the ship that rescued the Japanese sailors. And if you think like they have this monument to him I'm sorry. I think it was the Manhattan out of Sag Harbor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yes. And so they have this monument to him in Japan. And I and to think the actual town that he is from really yeah. doesn't have anything yet. And the efforts that that you and Georgia have been going through for years to try to make that happen. I've hit a lot of different snags and roadblocks. Um, you know, that just kind of drives home the, the point that like, it's embarrassing in a way that this foreign country has this tribute to him, but the own town that he's from and, you know, seeing is believing. And so when you have a statue like that or a monument, it piques people's curiosity. It makes them want to learn more. And when you don't have that, it's just harder for people to access that history. So that's that's another you know thing to point out, I think, as well. Well, I, I'm going to try to get them to make some news, but I, I'm always curious about where the Pierce Concert Homestead stands. There was talk of a compromise where you would rebuild the historic house with the non-historic bigger house using the original footprint around it and use the non-historic house that had wrapped the historic house as the visitor center, uh, which was supposed to be a compromise in lieu of building a standalone visitor center on the homestead and having the historic house being built to spec of the size it would have been when Pierce concert lived there, not including any of the extensions that were added on after his lifetime. What is the plan as of now, or at least what, what's your goal ultimately? Well, you know what? I think the compromise was um, not exactly to the extent to what you said. I think what the compromise is like, uh, we're going to get back with what we asked for in the first place was never to tear it down. 
And that actual um, site that was torn down was close to a little bit over um, 3,000 square feet. That is with the extension. Because you have to remember, we're talking about almost 200 years of history here. And so 50 years uh, is significant in that history. So even looking at the 1920 survey, there was uh, definitely some information that indicated that the house was there. Of course, with the other structure, which we're considering to be the full house um, as structure um, that is historic. Now, I will say that there is a bigger plan that's ensuing. Um, I know you're probably aware of this with the park that is uh, being proposed. And we see as this, as just like Seneca Village, we unfortunately know that African-Americans were erased and removed and displaced from Seneca Village. And we don't want that to happen here with Pierre's sponsor. So our goal is to give him what he deserves. We talked for years about a site in Brooklyn called Weeksville, which have the Hunter Fly original houses, but they also have a visitor interpreter center. Why is this important? This should be, everyone should get behind this. First of all, there is no museum built to celebrate Northern slavery and the triumphs thereof. This will be the first uh, museum that we can talk about Northern slavery and not give it a pass as if it only happened in the South. Mm. So there are so many reasons to really look at this. And, and again, not that we want to be subjugated to slavery. We don't, but we have to acknowledge that his example that we have, his first name, his last name, we know his parents are, who his grandparents are, where they're interred. It's a significant amount of information that normally African-Americans do not have. Most African-Americans do not even know or could name their great-grandfather. So there is so much, uh, what about the entrepreneurship? What about his commitment to religious and philanthropy? So there is a lot that we could study there. We have a lot of uh, architectural um, pieces and artifacts that will go in the museum along with um uh, art pieces that is currently on loan right now at the Cold Spring Harbor uh, Whaling Museum. Um, so we have um, did so many plans. We did a sustainability plan. Uh, we did parking plans, architectural plans, landscape plans. You name it, we have it. The problem is that uh, the holdup is not the size. The holdup is not the people's energy. The holdup is a few one percenters who um, dictate what they want to see and what they don't want to see. Even though we've had so many people sign on to this project from the National Trust, uh, all over from the state, the, the state office of Parks and Rec have signed on, Preservation Long Island has signed on and many others. So we feel this is, as a bump in the road. And one other thing I'd like to point out that this is not just, uh, uh, black history or African American history. This is American history, and if people look at it that way, it it should be standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with um, the Pelotros and all of that has been preserved for them, or, or the fact that his birthplace was the Rogers Memorial Library, and there's no nod to that there. Uh, the Silver Shop, you know, the church, which uh, Presbyterian Church, which seems to be uh, an ally to this project. So other than his gravestone, there is no... Um, representation of him, and he basically could be considered one of the founding fathers of the community, and so that respect needs to be given. Um, one other thing, if you look at the Community Preservation Fund, and you look at all of the millions of dollars that cross through that preservation fund, you ask yourself how many has gone to a BIPOC organization or for a BIPOC cause, BIPOC meaning Black, Indigenous, People of Color. So that's something that we should be looking at, how are we doing service to all of the community yeah. and not a few? Yeah. Well, hopefully the um the 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 cell phone tour will now 
introduce um, Pierce to a lot of people who never even knew about him and get the cause more in the front of a lot of people's minds, I think, you know. Um, and then, of course, the other um, location that's on the tour is the Sands neighborhood. That's the predominantly um, African-American neighborhood in Sac Harbor, the three three neighborhoods that make up that whole corridor on the eastern part of Sac Harbor that was traditionally where Black families would go when they weren't free to necessarily um, vacation at other beach resorts around the around the country and it became you know it's still a very very strong community i imagine that there's a lot of people that don't have any clue um, what those neighborhoods are all about until they find your tour um right absolutely and i mean i feel like you know most of you on here i feel like i'm preaching to the choir because at some point you know many of you have uh, written articles or raised some issues so thank you for that thank you for your co-conspiratorship if that's what i can call it um, but yes, I think um, it's important to say that most communities on Long Island that are considered to be uh, African-American are really not. They're a result of white flight. And so you have this community like Sands that is not uh, a result of white flight or Gordon Heights. So there's not that many communities where you see that this is very intentional for people to want to be able to fish in peace, have leave the front door open or have their children's play or your neighbors say hello to you in the morning. Not only that, they did plan a bus to go to the March on Washington right on the beach. So there's not even just, there's so many historical moments there, but there's also very historic people who were there. Um, if you think about Colin Powell, he's summer there. You think about Lena Horne, Langston Hughes, the list goes on and on about the people who um, felt safe in that community to live there and still you know, is there, you know, we have some people who are seven generations, right? You know, that's the thing that's so great about that aspect of the tourist, because it's, it's like living history. There's so many people that, you know, have a, have a memory of, of, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So those stories are, are really current. You're not, you know, you're not looking back at documents on somebody that you didn't know, you know, you have a lot of um, friends and relatives who can still speak about growing up in that part of South Harbor, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, like you said, it is a teaching tool because, you know, some of the houses were like old sleepy Fisher houses, you know, they weren't these big um, architectural things that, you know, when you look at most of traditional uh, historic districts, they, they want these big columns and different things like that. No, they like, you know, like a good friend said, these houses were built with spit. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, you know, so it wouldn't have the traditional uh, architectural, but the cultural significance of it was really important. And this can be a tool where there were so many um, communities, if you remember about the Green Book. These were communities that were listed in this book, not even just communities, but, you know, um, gas stops, um, various things where people can go and feel safe to actually get their gas or lodge. And when you look at this community, there's not many of them left that actually had um, access to water and respite. Yeah. So that in itself is a phenomenon that we can talk about um, is the fact that it's existed this long, continuously. And then, of course, the last stop on the tour is Freetown, which was the predominantly Black neighborhood. Now, this was north of East Hampton Village. Is that right, Brenda? You know quite a bit about that area, right? Georgia can speak again. I'm sorry about that more than I can, but um, I know I'm familiar with the area, but I'll let Georgia speak more about that history. Well, you know, Freetown is really important. Yes, it was a site of historic African-Americans, but it also was a site of indigenous and the Montauk people. So when we think about it, it's, uh, when we think about these plural sites, you know, how can we take away 
Um, even like when we think about Eastville, Eastville is linking three cultures. So we have the historic indigenous um, uh, people that live there. Most, some of them were Montauk, some of them were Montauk and Shinnecock. Then we have the African-American and we have the European uh, immigrants that would come and work at the Watchtower. So you see there is, um, these communities were where people actually made change together. For instance, if you just think about the St. David and Zion churches in East Hampton, it is uh, on the map for um, being built by the indigenous, the African-American and the European immigrants. So these communities serve as a, a place of sanctuary. Uh, I know that's a bad word these days, but for lack of terminology, but you know, this serves as a place where people can come together and feel um, like I am my neighbor's keeper. And that's been very important for um, these communities. Hmm. And then let's not forget about, um, we could, I think we make mention for it too. So, like I said, there were so many sites that we could think of we made like honorable mention, if people want to go beyond, we can't forget to think about uh, Ned the Negro servant. And that mm -hmm. tombstone is like in a really bizarre place because it's like a right of way off of someone's yard. And that is a triumph too, that we were able to re-erect, uh, you know, um, with the late uh, Cohen. He was there and he made sure that we were able to get that done. So that's a, another site that we should be thinking about. Um, like again, there's so many sites. If you start to think about the Buffalo Soldiers, if you go into Montauk and we start to think about Amistad, which we recently just uh, did a wonderful uh, event um, last, uh, was it August 28th? And we are planning to do another one. So there, our history is so vast. And I think it's just like the civil rights movement that um, it takes everybody. It took everybody to be a part of this movement. This is Katherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. So is there is there um, any plans to expand the cell phone tour and maybe add some sites going forward in the year or so ahead? I think that would be awesome because, like, again, there's so many. I know Brenda and myself have a running list of, of, of sites that we'd like to see and we may be looking at doing our own tour. Um, we also have another app, the Digital Tapestry, where you can come see that at the museum, which I'm sure you have looked at. But yeah, so we have more sites that we can add. Uh, the means of doing it, we don't know right now, but we definitely have plans to expand it. So, Kaylin, do you want to talk about how the tour is downloaded and how people can access it? So the Travel Stories app is available in the App Store. It's a free app. And it's pretty self-explanatory once you download the app and you can listen to these stories. I think, Brenda, correct me if I'm wrong, or Georgette, um, you may know, the it, has it officially launched yet? You can still see it. I know I was able to see it. Um, you, you should be able to see it, but you can download it in your app store. So whether you have Google or Apple, you can download it. And then because there's other tours on there, so all the tours will come up and you just need to look for the Hampton Civil Rights uh, Backstory Tour. Yeah, I, I I was on I was on it earlier. I'm just gonna 
spell it out. So it's travel stories. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-S-T-O-R-Y-S. If you go to the app store and type in travel stories, S-T-O-R-Y-S, not I-E-S. Yeah. And then you would look for Hampton's civil rights backstory, I think is the, the full official name of it. But I think another key thing to maybe bring up or reiterate before we go is, you know, I know both, um, Brenda and Georgette would really like to see this. There's so many, obviously, because it's an app, people can use it anywhere. But I think it would be really great to use it in schools locally. And there's photos associated with it, too. Um, so it's it's audio in nature, but it's it's storytelling. And so it's really compelling. But there's also photos with it throughout. And and the idea, I think, is is kind of that it that it takes you on this tour from right. from one spot to, to the next. So you right. can in an hour visit these these four sites. Um, yeah. on, on the South Fork, which is really kind of cool. It's very interactive. I mean, I have three kids, one of whom is in seventh grade. And I just thought to myself, like, this is great. I would love to hear my kid come home from school and tell me I learned about Pierce concert today. Like every yeah. kid on the east end of Long Island and beyond, but especially here, should should know who he is and learn about that in school. Like that's that should just be it, like basic 101 history local history. I'm really excited too. Um, Lucille, I can't remember her last name, from Hagerown. She's a teacher. She reached out to me. She came to the museum. She was literally in the museum for probably about three hours. And her purpose was she created curriculum for her students. And she'll be coming in on two Mondays consecutive, the 22nd and the 29th, coming in, you know, really, I mean, to me, this is really... um, so exciting and just like us saying this is what we work so hard for to really get this information out to the students and also um southampton elementary school nick please coming in and bringing the students as well and there's another club um black girl magic um it's in the club in the high school their instructor is bringing their you know their kids in uh, the young ladies and young men in as well so this this is really what the main purpose of the museum, one of the main purpose is to educate, you know, the public, but especially the students, especially the young people. So that's really um, exciting for me that this is happening. It, it, it feels kind of self-explanatory, but I mean, we're heading into Black History Month. Why why is that so important, Brenda? Why is it so important that 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 the kids um, learn learn that history? Because then they wouldn't know where else. That it's not in the school. They're not teaching this in school. You know, they have to learn. They have to know. And you know, where we are now in this world, this is so divided. It's so, it's a mess. I'm gonna go there. I'm right. not gonna really go there, but I'm gonna say it's a mess. So I'm, I'm at my heart of hearts and my hope is that the younger people coming up, the generational coming up, will be um, be able to fight and say that this is wrong and this is how it should be. And this is what happened and we don't want this to happen again. So these mm. are the things that I'm hoping that um, this black history, not just black, you know, I said the funny thing, I had a little black history program when I was working for the mayor and because of some people who really know who I am, I started the black history program, not in February, I started in January and I took it down when I felt like it, which was end up being March or April. 
And this is another reason why I didn't call this Black History Month. I call it a Black History Program because it's going to go extend to March. And that's the other thing that annoys me. I have my little pet peeves. Just February, 28 freaking days. I shouldn't have said that, yeah. but I said it. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, the smallest, shortest month of the year, that's what we're celebrating, you know? And I got issues with that. Georgette said it earlier. It's, it's Black history, but but it's history. I, I mean, it's a, it, it's American history. It's local history. Um, exactly. you know, whether it's centered on, on the black community or, 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 you know, the other community, it, it's history and everybody needs to understand history or, or you repeat it. Right. And Georgette, black history, 365 is what Georgette. Exactly. Exactly. Wait. And, you know, if you think about that, that's really, um, part of where we are now to start separating our history from American history. Right. That, you know, we shouldn't have never done that. But it seemed like that almost be the foundation, the root of where we are now. You know, this whole us and them kind of thing, you know, which is, don't get me started. Brenda, you have a comment? So uh, to kick things a little more into the present, um, but still on topic, there's a TV show, or I shouldn't even call it a television show. It's a streaming show about sands or at least about fictional people who fictionally live there on the BET plus streaming service. And it's called the black Hamptons or Carl Weber's the black Hamptons. He also wrote a book of that title and they're in the midst of season two. Now, as far as I could tell, they haven't filmed anything here, but they say that it takes place in Sag Harbor. Has anybody caught this show? Cause I feel like it's flown under the radar. Well, I can tell you about that show. But, uh, I was going to say, speaking to the people, I, I will say this. No, it's not being taped in Sad Harbor. Two, they yeah. use they use some foundational family names that have been there for a long time. And most of the people whose names they're using, the stories are so far off. And people don't care for it, but they're actually tuning in for it. But no, um, I guess, again, we polarized the, uh, the country when we came out to preserve uh, stands because again, not many of these community exist. So they're just picking up and, and making the series, but no, it's not accurate. Uh, and, so, and most of the community don't like it. They are using historic family names. So it's a little bit weird, but yeah. Hmm. Like they're piggybacking on the, on the fame of it or um, everybody loves the Hamptons and whatever form it can be exploited in the TV show, I guess. To answer your question, Brendan, I so I clicked onto it one time, and I haven't been back. And now I'll, I'll just leave it at that because it's it's just is yeah. <laughs> is not realistic. <laughs> and just an example of that, I don't know if you guys remember um, Alilia Bundle. She's um, um, great great granddaughter of Madam C J Walker. They had we had her as a speaker here in Southampton on at, South, at our June, one of our Juneteenth events, which was amazing. And it was interesting. Hollywood made a film called Self Made, and Octavia—I can't think of Octavia the act, actress name—but she played Madame C.J. Walker. But Alilia, when she came, she was very, very cool about it. But she let us know they actually first called her in because she had wrote a book first about all of this, and they called her in because they want to do this wonderful movie, blah blah blah. And when it all came down to it, they she they like dissed her in a sense and they made all this other stuff up and she said she was very upset 
because she made, it was a character who was, I think her great-great-grandmother's financial guy. And she said they made him out of a thief and a womanizer. And she said he was far from that. So this is the crap that, mm. you know, is kind of disturbing, you know, kind of. And, and then if people don't really know the real story, that's all they know. And that's, that's what they, they believe. believe. Exactly. Well, hopefully so, you got, you know, you got the real story out there on the Travel Stories app, so. Absolutely, absolutely. And I really <laughs> hope that people will also um, be encouraged to come to the museum and have the digital tapestry experience. It's a marvelous, wonderful, extraordinary um, app that we got $125,000 digital tapestry grant from the Roger David Lyon Foundation. And Georgette and I, um, I think about this Georgette, um, when I was actually in St. Martin, you know, I guess it was now two years ago, and we made a agreement with the tech people that we would spend two days a week, two or three, four hours a day to do to create, create this app. So Georgia and I, the things that you would hear in this app were the contents that Georgia and I um, gave to them because one of the gentlemen who was supposedly on to do the historical part of it, um, we've, we finally had to politely tell him, um, mm -mm, let us tell our story, please. And so they did. You know, because who doesn't know who who knows our history better than we do? Seriously, exactly. Good point, Brenda. I appreciate that a lot. Yay. Yes. All right. Great. So, anything else anybody want to add about um about the the story? Yeah. Uh, where we head off? I just want to thank uh, Twenty Seven East and Podcast. And I'm I have to say this. I listen to you guys <laughs> on Saturday mornings. That's kind of like my little thing. I listen to the podcast, <laughs> and to be on now. To hear you introduce yourself, everybody introduce themselves. It's just so pretty cool for me right now. I know it's kind of weird, but no, we're you know. glad you could come on. That's great. <laughs> really fun. And and Dr. Georgette Gurkey, thank you so much for joining us. From uh, not an easy day for you today, so um, I'm really impressed that you could jump on this call with us. It's great. good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really great. Thank you. Love. Excellent. All right, everyone. So have a have a great weekend, everybody. And Thank go get you. go get the app. Go get the app and take a tour. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Soak up some sun for, for us. I'm sending <laughs> it. I'm sending it. I'm sending it. <laughs>Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27east.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.